Thank you so very much for listening to Signal Fire Radio over the past year. As a gift to you, we want to give you this exclusive sneak peek of a story about love, corruption, and redemption. And be sure to look out for our future content that will be exclusive to Patreon. We want to thank you and wish you a very Merry Christmas from the entire Signal Fire crew. Paul, you did 27 years, you 25 said? 25 years, two months, and 19 days. You didn't count, though, did you? I never counted a single one until <laughs> way after I was out. Did you? Did you? I'm not saying this as a joke, so please don't mind uh-huh. the turn of phrase, but did you have some time, take some time to figure out why in the hell this happened to you? Like, what you thought, why this? I knew exactly why, because I got caught and people ratted me out about stuff. And I didn't have any... any I don't have the heart to turn against somebody and, and cause somebody to go to prison. It's just something I couldn't do. And, but they did it to me, and I said, okay, fine. Well, I got myself in this mess. I'll get myself out, hopefully. And if it wasn't for Beth Curtis here, I probably wouldn't have gotten out myself. And I yeah. know 21 others exactly. who can say yeah. the same thing. 22 of us she's responsible for. That, that, that was going to be my next question. Is obvi- Clearly the connection was you helped him in some capacity. Can you tell that story, Beth, about when you, oh. when you saw Paul's story and just decided to go for it? Yeah, the first thing I did then after I talked to Don Warchafter and he helped me get documents online, I decided to try and find other people who had, not the guys from the 80s who were getting out or going to get out, but the ones who had life sentences that were not going to ever get out. And I started looking for them, and it was kind of funny because there's no way to find them <laughs> but except to just ask people in various prisons. And, and um, I found a, about 10 or 12 pretty quick. So then I thought, well, what, what am I going to do with it? So I put it up on a website and told their story stories of their cases, but then I started nagging my brother's trial attorney, who was Michael Kennedy. Really famous York. lawyer. He, he owned High Times and also was pretty much in control. The magazine High Times? Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Pretty much in control of normal. He was a, he was a very, very accomplished criminal defense attorney. He'd been an attorney for the Chicago 7 and lots of other high... high. Anyway... So I decided I'd, I wanted to break out the category because people didn't believe me when I put up the website. They didn't believe that that was marijuana only and that they got a life sentence. Yeah. They thought they must Clearly. have, killed, they must have yeah. killed somebody or something. So I, got, I wanted to break out the category, so I wanted it to be as sympathetic as it could be. And I figured that would be people who'd served who had life sentences, who'd served at least 15 years, and who were over the age of 60. And I found five of them. I had, I actually had more, but two of them had a, one of them was, of the other ones was Randy Lanier and Eugene Fisher. They had a pretty good chance of, of getting out without me having to, without having to do that. So I got it, they, he, Michael finally agreed, and he, and David Holland, who was, college with. <laughs> who, who was his associate, and, uh, and Michael wrote the petition to break out the category for five nonviolent marijuana offenders who needed clemency. Now, a group petition is not even mentioned anywhere. There's not such a thing. But 
uh, it was a it was a kind of a gimmick to get the category out there, and because I was tired of people saying that there wasn't such a thing too, and I figured if they'd write about the petition, that it would happen. So that's what I did, and then just went from there. Were, By the end of the Obama administration, all four of four of those were on the petition, and many, many more had had gotten clemency, but my brother had not. Uh, that's what I was going to so ask. I had was a your brother few more years to go? Yeah, and I still do. Yeah. What is what does that effort look like? I mean, you write the petition, you got to get it in front of the okay. president of the United States. Like, how does yeah. that work? I have, I have, I did, ha I did have a networking plan, and it was very primitive. I made cards, holiday cards, with these guys' pictures on them, for every holiday, like Memorial Day, Happy Memorial Day. We're celebrating our freedom, and then flip it over. These people are serving life sentences for marijuana, and they were primitive. I put them in envelopes. I hand addressed them and hand stamped them because people do not open mail with a dress label or a stamp. Mm -hmm. I sent them to congressmen. I sent them to law schools. I sent them to every criminal justice reform organization that I could. And I called them. And I went to visit them. I went to D.C. I went wherever I'd think anybody would listen. But, the, but, but those Stinking cards, actually, I didn't get a lot of response from them. But people, when they met me, they'd know. And I wrote, wrote letters. I sent them to everywhere, over and over and over again for years. Yeah, she never quit. Yeah. Yeah, she yeah. never quit. Uh, I, that is the lesson, uh, the nucleus of the lesson, is you can't send something one time and expect it to make an impact. Heavens, no. nobody cares. Yeah. They they won't know you until you you've nagged them to mm. death. Sure. I mean I've nagged them. To death. <laughs> I would. I mean they probably were saying, "Oh God, it's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Beth Curtis is calling again. Okay. Yes, tell them I'm on the other come line. Come <laughs> on over for lunch. It was like that. Do you remember the first big moment that that you got through to somebody that could could either put you in touch with the next right person or was a key decision maker that could help this move for One you? One of the first persons that helped me was Eric Sterling, who I don't know if anybody knows who he mm -hmm. is. He, um, he had an advocacy group in um, just outside of D.C. And he was a, one of the uh, prosecutors who lobbied for the, the crime bill for mandatory minimums. He had a change. Controlling bill? Uh, no, yeah. the, the, in, in the 80s. Oh. He had a change of heart, and he started uh, an, an organization for um, sentencing reform. And then he, then I got in touch with FAM, Families Against Man Mandatory Minimums. And they, it's an organization that lobbies for sentencing reform in D.C., of course, normal. I stalked them. I, the Open Society, I find um, a woman by the name of Nikichi Taifa had a huge grant from them, and she, and uh, she put me on the clemency, their clemency committee, so I could go to D.C. every uh, quarterly, and and she'd have the press would be there. You could talk about your 
your stuff. It was pretty good because she had a lot of um, contacts with the Obama so administration, but I didn't stay with those. I, by the time the Trump administration was over, I had I had support from everybody. Right on crime. Um, what's his name in Texas? Uh, Pat Nolan. Very right. Very 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 conservative groups. And we met through David Holland. David Holland, who's uh, kind of inherited Kennedy's law firm, yeah. and um, you know, but again, it, it was a loose coalition, and you know, and I look at some of the cannabis, some I don't like, some I do like, and some I can't deal with, and and Beth dealt with all of them. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And and it's again, you get into the narcissism of small differences, like you military right. guys, like oh those guys over there, oh that, <laughs> you know. But it's hard to. I, I cared together. nothing about those yeah. about their disagreements. And you don't I come would, from the pot culture either. No, I don't. Which I did. Is I, I smoked once in '68. <laughs> 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 no, I don't. I. I but um, no, I didn't. I don't. I didn't care about yeah. anything except if they could find a little mercy and compassion in their heart to make some contacts and lobby for what I wanted. And that's still the way I feel. And I do feel like shaming the cannabis industry. I don't think that they have any integrity whatsoever as long as people are serving sentences for marijuana. Why do you think that? Because they're spending lots of money lobbying for their businesses, making hundreds of millions of dollars, while people are still in cages for the product they're selling, and they're not doing enough to change that did have you you've met with them and i've i have of course many cannabis industries have received my of course yeah products. yeah <laughs> they and won't they won't they, meet with me i just write they yeah exactly they're like, oh, they, great. And, and i talk mcguire's writing another one yeah, yeah and i do talk, talk to them when i see them wow and, uh, and yeah. they look the other way <laughs> <laughs> and, and i won't set foot in a dispensary yeah yeah it's, yeah. it's shameful religion. really mm. it's really yeah. shameful yeah. And I still, yeah, it's shameful. Yeah, especially when you see, I would think, billions of dollars worth of industry being built around um, something that. Yeah, has taken in, the lives of take, so many Exactly. People. Well, they're I, carpetbaggers. Yeah. I mean, I know Californians that are now in the families in the third generation in the cannabis trade. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's the grandkids mm-hmm. now. And, uh, you know, their parents, their grandparents ran penitentiary risks for something right. that mm-hmm. is now cool and groovy and, you know, CBD, 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 and this and that. And um, it's just odd. Is, the whole thing's odd. I don't know why I just had this thought. I wonder, is there a parallel to, like, the Carnegie's and the Rockefeller's and the Vanderbilt's, the people <laughs> oh, who built sure. the country and took a lot of risk building the infrastructure of the United States of America, and then it just gets more watered down by generation, and then you've just got a bunch of bratty kids that well, look have what, a billion bucks to their name in a trust fund? Well, look what we worship today, you know, celebrity and, you know, very ephemeral things. And I don't, but most people do. Um, I think that will change, though. I think we're in a in a in a very uh, volatile moment, mm-hmm. and that 
resourcefulness and independence and these kinds of things may well come back into the vogue out of necessity. The mother of invention. Man's a prophet, man. <laughs> man is a prophet. No, I don't know about that. <laughs> but, um, but no, I think um, everything's easy, you know, and uh, I just, I don't think a lot of young people know what kind of trouble you mm -hmm. get in for, you know, I mean, I almost went to, got in real trouble uh, when I was about 20 and got caught in New Mexico with a, you know, trunk full of weed and yeah. they didn't find it. And I didn't admit that I had it. And boy, did I yeah. make yeah. some bargains with whoever's <laughs> running the upstairs. I promise and, I yeah. won't do it. Yeah. And the hardest thing was when the guy, I mean, he tore my car apart and it was, it was uh, vacuum bagged and wiped down in gas. So you yeah. couldn't smell, a dog couldn't smell it. And, um, and, and, I mean, he went through everything. He was lying down in the back of my car smelling like a dog. Like, <laughs> and I was like, no, no, what you're talking oh, yeah, about, yeah. sir. And the great line was, he goes, son, you have a brown stain on your lip. You're bleeding out your eyes. And I smell the fruity herbal aroma of marijuana. <laughs> no, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. No, sir, no, sir. And so finally he said, we're going to strike a little deal. And I thought, oh, uh -oh man, here I was going to say, like, you, you give me five, mm. you know, you give it to me now. You only yeah. get five years yeah. in New Mexico, yeah. which yeah. is a bad state to get caught in. And he said, you keep it under 55. Well, we're in New Mexico and we'll call it even. And that was the hardest <laughs> part because I almost jumped in his arms and was yeah. like, no problem. Man, I got so much pot on me. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, yes, sir. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Say nothing else. Just you, you don't yeah. close past the sale. Yeah. Just get in the car. To come carry New Mexico. Yeah. yeah. When I was a kid, I grew up on the border in San Diego with Mexico. And when I was young, I'm 71 years old now, when I was young, there was no fence on the beach. And we were kids, we'd just walk down and go into Tijuana and down the beach and we'd drink a few beers and have some tacos and go home. And then I started to smoke pot and I saw what it was costing over here and what I could pay for it over there. And one thing led to another. And luckily the, the uh, Navy, seals at the amphibious base had a nice spot right there and ended up getting a nice big military truck and whew. <laughs> you took the truck they oh, took oh, oh, oh i bought a truck yeah that looked just like what they were using when yeah. they were having when they had butts training yeah. you know and uh yeah, it's and there was a road there right between the Naval Amphibious <laughs> Base and the, and the State Park, and there was a little road there, and you could drive down, and a boat could come in, and, you know, it was just fun. Yeah. It was just fun. Yeah. It, it was profitable, but more, it was just fun. And then I remember I was driving down the highway one time, and I get pulled over for speeding, and I had four joints in my pocket. And this Coronado cop reached in, pulled the four joints out, looked at them, took two, put them in his pocket, the other two lines, <laughs> and keep the speed down, son. Go on. That's the way it used to be. Yeah. Yeah, it really wasn't. Yeah. We were sure pot was going to be legal. Oh, right? yeah. It yeah. Was like, Is that I, where I, what I the feeling was? Yeah. six tons back in 1974. And at the time, I was facing a maximum of uh, five years at that time. I got a three-year sentence. When I walked into prison to do that sentence, I thought, I'm not going to be here three years before mm. they legalize it. They're going to let me go. That was in 74, <laughs> you know, and it's still not legal. I can, I live in Ohio and I can buy pot legally 
in the state. It, it doesn't make any sense. So why are you we know? Why are we forty seven years removed from that, and it's still just only being legalized? Is it the tobacco money. industry? Somebody's making money. Well, no, it might be the the unions, the mm-hmm. police, the the prosecutors, the judges, unions. You know, uh, could be some tobacco companies, some alcohol companies. That used to be. I think more important than it is now. And also culture. Yeah. It's you know? a subversive drug, you yeah. know, and it, um, you know, makes people introspective. Yeah. And, and, you know, and initially it was a black drug. It was a Mexican drug. And particularly in the beginning, when does marijuana become illegal? Mm. When the prohibition ends. Yeah. Who becomes key? Harry Anslinger. You know, Anslinger, so. Anslinger, yeah. Yeah, so Anslinger is a prohibition guy. And then prohibition ends. And then. Then that's when Reefer Madness and, oh, the lady smoked pot. And, I mean, when the movie Reefer Madness, Yeah, they that, say, that poster is so yeah, apocalyptic. And they, oh, the, the, the white college girls, they smoke marijuana with the Negroes and get sympathetic for, uh, towards their cause. And, you know, I mean, and that's how this booga booga, yeah. Yeah. you know, the big booga booga horn, yeah. whether it's, you know, terrorists right. or, you know, they... Yeah. they yeah. We think about like what when when we were coming up it was the dare to keep kids off drugs campaign yeah. and that like bold red letters and all that messaging. I mean, if you look at it from a marketing perspective or an advertising perspective or more nefariously a propaganda perspective, it was intended to you know, the only thing we ever heard as kids was marijuana is a gateway drug. You do marijuana, you're going to be you know uh, taking, taking hitting crystal meth in the ditch. Um, <laughs> that's the next. That's the next yeah. logical thing. So it's but now we're at a place where we're so broken with opiates, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And and we can't address the problem because big pharma made the problem, right? Right, and so. Yeah, people are are doing heroin now because they can't afford pharmaceuticals anymore. But I have all kinds of reprobate friends I grew up with in California, and if I want to know anything about any drug, I call them. Yeah, and they say, no, no, we want the we they they tell me everything, and this is how we do it, and we da 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 da. We don't want street drugs. We want the big. Um, I forget what they call them, but they're all these synthetic opiates, and that's what they want. And and they have all kinds of scams to get them and mm-hmm. this and that and the other thing. And so because of the power of big pharma, we can't really, you know, the homeless problem, a lot of it is just a lot of it is drug addiction. Right. And and again, we don't identify the problem. We can't identify the problem, much like terrorism, much like that. So the idea that we're going to continue putting resources into marijuana when it's legal all over the country and not addressing the opiate problem, which is the most terrifying thing to me as a parent, mm-hmm. you know. And and when I talk to my kids and I hear these stories about Chinese fentanyl pills and somebody thinks it's ecstasy. And we had a situation in Wrightsville Beach, some kid who's, a, you know, off to go to college, sports star, everything, never really done anything wrong, takes an ecstasy pill, it's fentanyl, boom, mm. dead. And that's what I tell my kids, like, you yeah. know, I know... You're going to reach an age. You're going to want to do things. I'm not. I'm not in any position to sit in judgment, right? I can't lie to my kids about my past. I've written about it, and um, there are parts I'm not necessarily proud of. But I was really only ever involved in marijuana. Right. I never was involved in any kind of cocaine or heroin or anything like that. And there was a huge taboo. And and if you brought up heroin around us at a certain point. You get beaten up. I mean, it was that tough. Yeah. It was it was a transgression, mm-hmm. and uh, and and it, and I was, 
at one time in my life, someone said, hey, yeah. Uh, and, and it was interesting. The, the first time I ever saw heroin was rich kids on the East Coast of college. Mm. Mm-hmm. Nobody I knew yeah. in California, nobody, everybody knew better. And yeah. these were trust fundies, you know. And, uh, and so, again, our dishonesty with ourselves um, makes it impossible to solve this and many other societal problems like education as yeah. well. You know? yeah. And so, um, yeah, I better shut up now. Or no, just... you, you can keep going. <laughs> I'll, ask you one, I'll ask you one more to needle you. In 2019... I would have I was in the same position as you Paul in 74. I would have said in 2019 if President Trump got reelected it would probably be federally legal within his second term. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it. it, it is it going to happen is Biden have the chutz but to get it through or is this this is we're now now it's getting punted again and again and again like we've seen if since you 74. Look at CNBC when they're talking about Marijuana. I get the impression that somebody knows that something's getting ready to happen. The the marijuana stocks surged in the last few days, and so I'm. But I've been wishful thinking for fifty, sixty years. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's that's what I'm asking. It's going to be legal anytime. And and, you know, here I am. Are there speculators that that control that much like there is oil? I don't think so. I think it's a very it's diffused. Right. I yeah. mean, I know Bear's got a big, AG Bear's got a big, um, I forget, HW Pharmaceutical or one of them that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest, um, you know, very like From pharmaceutical. GW pharmaceutical. Yeah, GW. Yeah. It's now Jazz, J A Z Z. In fact, it's registered, in, I think it's registered in San Diego now. It started, really? started in Bristol, England. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. that was. Yeah. Yeah, and that that was Bear too, right? AG um, Bear. I don't know if they I don't know if they had an investment in it. Yeah. It was GW Pharmaceuticals. It was. Um, and then there were starting. groups trying to patent. Right. Like, yeah. Somebody was trying to patent well, the government cannabis or something. Yeah. yeah, I've got a copy of it. Well, and that's remarkable too. The whole way you know where they say all oh, medical marijuana doesn't work. We have no evidence. Da, da, da. That's because you had the one farm mm-hmm. at the University of Mississippi, <laughs> and if you wanted to test it. You had to go through this incredibly difficult process, and then if you actually got it, it was bunk, yeah. and it was crappy weed, and so your metrics are off. Yeah, the FDA has is, is allowed no actual substantive data to... What's the name of the guy who runs that farm? He's a classic. He was, uh, <laughs> I don't know. And, and yeah. he... Um, yeah, he basically said uh, marijuana leads to homosexuality <laughs> and, and was relieved of his position. Really? Yeah, and that was, I think, during the Reagan administration. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. the problem is um, federally marijuana is on the Controlled Substance right. Act as a Schedule, Schedule one, 1 drug right. more dangerous than fentanyl and Oxycontin. And this is That's, why they can't, they won't study it for its medical purposes, right? It's an outrage. You, it's It's... It's, I kind of see it as a problem with the administrative state. I mean, these agencies get dig into to their issues, and they they have so many people who are employed because of it. They don't want to change. They'll study it forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they say we need more studies before we can change. 
They don't need more studies. It's been they they have hundreds of thousands of right. studies. Right, five thousand years. Yes. Yeah. But 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 I mean, they, hundreds of studies. If you look, just go through like look for Harvard studies about marijuana, you will find a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You'll find hundreds in every college in science and drug organization. Uh, well, Fiorello, LaGuardia, he, I mean, yeah. you go back yeah. to U.S. history. It's and, been you know, studied to death. Right. Because yeah. soldiers always smoke. You go right. to a theater mm-hmm. where there's pot, soldiers are going to smoke. We, we were worried Matt would know. never come back. <laughs> <From Afghanistan>. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And well, so. Vietnam and Cambodia. Yeah. Some yeah. really good stuff, I'll yeah. tell you. Yeah. 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 That's for sure. And, uh. Yeah, it's funny. And, you know, the U.S. military was really the people who began the Thai marijuana trade mm. yeah. because, you, you know, you would send it via Army Post Office. and um, APOFP. Yeah, and that's, that was the real beginning of it. So you know, Back to your question yeah. when you were asking about Biden. You know, during the campaign, he was against legalizing marijuana, and he's pretty much stuck with that now. Things may change. Hopefully someone can whisper in his ear and pay him a lot of money or whatever they need to do. But um, in order to be a Schedule One controlled substance, their own ruling says that it can't have any recognized medical use. Exactly. And people have gone, look, look right. at all the people, right. the medical marijuana people using it. And it's... And it, it's helping them. And it's amazing it's to me helping. that we have we have healthcare providers and practitioners that are in our country that are for this. Yeah. Um and and still turn a blind eye away to a cacophony of of well, people yeah. in this country of licenses. One thing about medical marijuana that I want to bring up that's important and where I really saw that it was a medicine was during the 80s, I moved to New York and went to college, and I, I dated a, a ballerina uh, for about eight years and was in the world of high-level ballet, and AIDS cut through the ballet world mm. like you would never, you know, so a lot of guys that I, I knew that were friends um, got AIDS, and the only thing that allowed them to eat was, was, was yeah. e- eating, smoking yeah. and eating marijuana. Then... Uh, PTSD, not SSRIs, not antipsychotic medications, but right. marijuana, much more effective. Then I see it like I've had several older people that I know, very conservative, non-marijuana people, um, and they're having problems with their opiates, with constipation, digestion, right. all this stuff, and then addiction. And, and I've been able um, to, to wean them off opiates with very, very strong uh, THC CBD. Right. And, and, you know, the CBD stuff, there's a lot of mythology and confusion around. Um, in my opinion, it needs, the, it needs the THC, it needs the intoxicants to get the full spectrum. Right. And that's the opinion of many experts, but I'm not a scientist uh, by any, um, any stretch. Um, but philosopher I, for sure. I see this. I see this anecdotally all yeah. the time, and I really saw it during the AIDS years. But uh, again, uh, you know, my own father, um, not the most conservative guy in the world, but hadn't smoked pot since the '70s. And when he fell and broke his hip and was in real pain and not able to sleep and stuff, I I was able to get, like I said, these really strong pharmaceutical. THC, CBD pills made with real good indica, 
And um, the guy slept 10 hours a night, every night. And he took them until the day he died last year. Was that a difficult thing for you to do, convince your dad? My dad? My dad had, had seen plenty. Yeah. So he, he's being like... my dad. Right. <laughs> so I mean, it like, wasn't like... He uh, had him for a son. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. My relationship. He's like, all right, Peter, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it wasn't like my relationship. <laughs> Actually, my dad... Uh, really liked smugglers because my dad was a mariner. Mm. So he was coming, he was crossing Tradesman paths. appreciation. Yeah, and, yeah. And, he, and he had this, he had a beach house in Santa Barbara where some huge uh, loads were offloaded. Oh, yeah. And yeah. so I had a dinner, this was when I was older, this was maybe four or five years ago, where I had David Ortiz, yeah. Mike Ritter. <laughs> I had copy? I had some big, big multi-ton smugglers come to dinner at my dad's house. They said, oh yeah, we used to bring in, we'd, our offload crew would meet at the bowling alley and we'd all get in a Winnebago and we'd go down there and we'd, we'd take off 10 tons in a night. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, again, trade craft that mm-hmm. is every bit as good as the seals with much shittier You give equipment. some appreciation, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. unbelievable. That's and, unbelievable. And so, uh, no, California, you know, there's, there's actually some respect for it. It's part of our culture. Right. You know, like um, I go out there and people throw pot at me. You know, look at what I grew this year. Look at mine. Mine's better than his, and his is better than mine. And Matt's like, can we book a flight? Can yeah, I come with and, you? And the, like I said, the third generation guys, I mean, they're so uh-huh. good at yeah. this now. And, and I only like pot that's grown in the dirt outside. And, um, and I can't really even smoke much anymore because I have kids and something's always going wrong. Somebody's getting hurt. Somebody needs to be driven somewhere. <laughs> so it's not really fun. I call it dwell now because you <laughs> smoke and then you dwell on taxes or you yeah. dwell on, you know. So, but in any case, um, I do go out there and uh, I like to go out there um, – you know, around this time of year and harvest season is a little, you know, yeah. depending. But, um, you know, and, and now, you know, my old stomping grounds in Santa Barbara County is one of the premier. Mm-hmm. You go to the viticulture places where the wine's grown, and that's where the really good pot's grown Birth, as well. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. that's Everything about that so area. So when you're ready so, to go, yeah. you let me know, and I will. Matt, let's, I'll carry your suitcase. <laughs> yeah, Josh. Josh is checking flights right now. Is SFO the fastest way to fly in and then drive down? Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's amazing. Yeah, um, Beth, Paul, I can't thank you both enough for for coming here and sharing your story. Um, if somebody wants to engage with you or they want to assist, like, what is the best way to go about helping you in your mission? Um. Just look at lifeforpot.com, and Paul actually has a website. Yep, I have uh, veteranofthewaronddrugs.com. Okay. And you've I got have, the Veteran of the Cannabis War t-shirt. Yes. I quite I like that. Right now, I have t-shirts that say all sorts of stuff. I'm Veteran of the War on Drugs, Veteran of the Cannabis War, the Weed War, the Pot War, the Ganja <laughs> War. I got the domain names on all of them. <laughs> and and uh, they're available for a donation. <laughs> I've got a, it's a 501c3 okay. nonprofit organization. I take in funds that I send out to people in prison and some who have gotten out recently if they need clothes, boots. Mm. Uh, I just sent a guy to California the other day that got a job at a winery. And he had wow. new boots on that I bought wow. for him. So we're small, but we're doing the best we can. Yeah, yeah. We'll put uh, we'll put both of those websites up on the show notes. Um, we'll be sure to push them out through our social media channels. And Matt, let's go ahead and buy some T-shirts. 
We're going shopping on your website here in okay. just a second, Paul. So. I've got some with me. So. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Well, then I hope you brought cash, man. Yeah. <laughs> we only work in cash. You only work in cash, right? Yeah, it's, it's a cash it's, business. Yeah. Belly to belly, man. Yeah. yeah. I don't want anybody yeah. to ask me if I was here, you know, on, on November belly 11th. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Signal Fire Radio. Uh, thank you so very much to our guests, Beth Curtis, Paul Free, and Peter McGuire. Until next time, go be a Signal Fire in your community. We'll talk to you next week.